Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Kaylee Barber. I'm a media editor at Digiday. I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. All right. This week, Tim, you had the conversation and you were speaking with Kim Kelleher, who is currently the president of Commercial Revenue and Partnerships at AMC Networks. And I'm curious if you got into kind of their upfront strategy from this past year and and how it might have been differently focused from previous years. The 2021 upfront was kind of building on the 2020 upfront, which was kind of like this inflection point, but it was like 2021 was like inflection point, the sequel. Um, Cause this year there was definitely more of a flattening between linear TV and streaming linear still gets, you know, the bulk of the budgets, but um, there's only so much inventory. And so network groups like AMC networks have really been building up their streaming inventory. AMC networks um, has rolled out a lot of these 24 uh, seven streaming channels on the different free ad supported streaming services. Um, and then, and we also talk about flexibility and just like how flexibility is kind of pervading into the quarterly upfront deals and, and you know, is um, kind of leaving some question marks in terms of like the quarter to quarter uh, pacing of the upfront deals. Did you get into like targeting ads at all, especially in the linear space? Um, just because that seems like a, a hot topic recently of figuring out how to get very, um, you know, narrow audiences in that area. Yeah, AMC Networks recently announced they um, have been doing uh, what's called programmatic addressable for linear. So basically like, you know, being able to buy traditional TV ads programmatically. So using, uh, I think they worked with the trade desk and Magnite for this, and then being able to target the ads at the household level. And so we talk about that and how AMC Networks um, has set this goal to eventually get to be able to have 100% of their linear reach be available for household level targeting. Got it. Awesome. Well, I will let you and Kim take it away from here. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Kayla. Kim Kelleher, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. Great to be here. Absolutely. So it's a great time to have you because the TV advertising industry, nothing you know exciting going on these days now that we're a month into Q4. And I kind of want to start there. Um, like, obviously, this year, the upfront cycle seemed to be fairly transformative from talking to people on both the buy sides and the sell sides, you know, whether it's, you know, talking to folks in linear streaming, even digital video. And so, you know, now that we're a month into this, you know, upfront deal, this year's upfront deals taking effect, I'm curious, like, what are you finding to be the big legacies of this year's upfront cycle so far? It's a great question. I you know, in some ways, and maybe my vantage point is somewhat unique, um, having started not even six months before the last kind of un-pandemic interrupted upfront, um, in some ways, this is my first official upfront, if you will. Uh, so I had a pretty non-traditional start to the television industry in general. But, you know, what I think is going to stick and what really worked for us at AMC Networks was... When we went from being, actually, our, our we were set for our upfront um, on March 15th. We all went virtual on the 12th. So we had a, a hard right turn at that point. And we ended up really investing frantically, is probably the appropriate and honest word, into um, a virtual upfront and built um, and invested in a number of tools that actually I think will live on 
for years to come. We, we built a tool called Upfront Connect and poured all of the months and months of work that we had been compiling, you know, our, our schedule and all of our, um, all of our integrated marketing ideas, our content room ideas, all of our research, all of our advanced advertising products. You know, we poured everything into Upfront Connect and created a navigatable resource that individuals could use whenever they wanted when they were diving into their upfront planning. And that has been something we've kept up. We send weekly emails updating what's new and navigatable on the Upfront Connect. Um, but probably my favorite piece was actually we built something called the screening room within the tool that allowed us to actually show full episodes of new shows and the upcoming slate, um, obviously well before their debut for planning purposes. And, you know, because everything was digital, we were able to track the number of people that were interacting on the site. And we couldn't believe in, in many ways, I anticipate the upfront from last year was probably our most interactive upfront, even though it was virtual, that we've ever had. We had more people interacting with the content than we could have ever packed into a large room and in an ongoing way, meaning throughout the several months of, of upfront planning, a pretty regular drumbeat, obviously some highs over peak periods, but more shows were watched entire, actually to the point where we had several requests for um, second, third, full season um, shows. And we were able to actually facilitate that and get those uploaded. And um, the viewership was fantastic. And and frankly, the outcome of last year's Upfront was was very telling of that interaction. So I think all those tools will will absolutely be mainstay going into the new one, but I'm also excited about having some in-person events as well. Right, absolutely. And, and so, I mean, that all is you know great when it comes to the upfront in terms of the presentations, but what about when it comes to the upfront deals, especially this year? What were the biggest you know, changes, shifts, you know, new focus points for you all? You know, I think the biggest changes that I was, I observed this year were the urgency behind the deals. Um, once conversations began, they, they moved fairly quickly. Um, I think that, I think that there were concerns and rightfully so around available inventory and making sure that, that the holding companies could, could give their clients access to what they needed for their planning purposes. So we felt, we felt a lot of urgency. We were able to pace to that. Um, because of the tools, but also because of all of the internal planning we had done, I anticipate that to be part of this year's cycle as well. I we're having earlier conversations. You know, I actually think maybe it's because I come from digital media and publishing, which were on, on always on mediums. That television is starting to feel a lot more like the always on world that I came from. So we're having conversations um, already about about next year. About next year? Oh, sure. Yeah. Preemptive, yes. And and certainly not negotiating, but but having planning conversations because, you know, I think there's a level of thoughtfulness that needs to go into the media mix and the distributions you're going to choose to tell and market your stories with. And uh, it's never too soon to start. What are you hearing in those conversations? At this point, you know, I think we're hearing a lot of things. We're hearing, we're hearing that, 
that people appreciate the fact that we still have um, places for marketers to put their advertisements. You know, um, we're we're still we're still very committed to, and you and I've talked about this in the past, but we're very committed to our viewers first philosophy, which is putting our content in as many places as we possibly can to to serve our our fan bases and our franchise fan bases, our viewers. Um, and we we look for ad supported outlets. Um, obviously working closely with our marketing partners and our advertising agencies to make that transaction across all of these diversified media distribution outlets um, as simplified as possible. It's not very simple, but we're we're really trying and we're very committed to putting tools in place that so our viewers first parlays quickly into a buyer's first mentality. And I know it sounds very jargony, but you need to be able to encapsulate kind of these big initiatives um, fairly simply, but we're looking for opportunities to aggregate the audiences, no matter where they're viewing, best we can for the advertisers that are looking to reach them. It's fairly simple, not the easiest to do in today's world. Right. Yeah. Cause it, I keep getting the feeling like, you know, TV advertising, and when I you know, say TV advertising, I'm including streaming into that, but that there's kind of this paradox going on where inventory seems to be as in demand as ever and, and therefore the market's as tight as ever and so you know q4 it it almost feels like everyone could have you know taken these last three months off in a sense of like the dollars are pretty firmly committed i don't expect many people are looking to get out of you know their commitments on the other hand flexibility was the big buzzword in 2020s continued to be in 2021 and you know we also have the shifts when it comes to viewership and all of the networks amc networks included really building up their streaming inventory and then on the advertiser side of things a lot of advertisers are dealing with you know, supply chain issues right now, which is, you know, coloring their Q4 strategies and just, you know, when do they want to be in market? How long do they want to be in market? So how is that playing out from your perspective? Like, what are you seeing when it comes to this, you know, balance of what would seem to be polar opposite conditions? Yeah, well, I think you encapsulated that very well. Um, <laughs> I, I really do. You know, on the supply chain issue specifically, we're seeing, um, we're seeing very few sectors untouched by by supply chain issues and we are working with a number of partners as they try to predict something that's fairly unpredictable um, it's not just um, chips and parts anymore it's labor shortages and distribution challenges you know there I think we're all reading similar articles there's there's not enough truck drivers there's not enough shippers there's not enough you know it's it's going to it's going to impact and it is already impacting every sector um I think that it's interesting flexibility has definitely been the the word du jour for the last couple of years um and and I think Rightfully so. I, I I embrace it. I know I know I've heard it spoken of very negatively, but I think if we can't be flexible in a marketplace like the one we're existing in, we're not um, we're not being our best selves. Perhaps I think it's really important to recognize these marketers are are trying to serve their 
their constituents best they can. And if there's a shipping lag, there's there's nothing they can do. So forcing them into a situation where they're marketing something that's not on the shelves is just not the business we're in. So we're having a number of ongoing conversations. Things are shifting real time out of fourth quarter into first quarter, out of first quarter into second quarter. But that's been the nature of the beast for the last few years. And I just, uh, you know, Nothing is going to outsize that initial April right at the at the start of the pandemic. And we all somehow survived that. So this this feels manageable. This feels manageable. And with that, like to your point, those shifts, you know, from one quarter to the next, not necessarily all that new, but definitely becoming more prevalent. And it makes me wonder, like, how will the upfront deal structure change? Because, you know, historically it's been Yes, there were annual commitments, but they were kind of parceled out on a quarterly basis. And the terms in terms of you know cancellation options and other things changed on a quarterly basis. And does it make sense to keep with that being the structure moving forward? Or is there a reason to be changing things up? Well, you know, at the end of the day, Tim, I feel like everyone has a choice. They can participate in the upfront or they can participate in scatter. You know, they can they can do what they think is best for their business needs. At the end of the day, the upfront advertisers are securing price and inventory and the flexibility they negotiate. And I, you know, based on this last upfront, it looks like demand for that is still very, very high. Um, and that could be, could very well be and likely is tied to the uncertainty around avails and inventory overall. But I, I see the upfront staying relevant for at least a few more years, um, frankly, until until there's a better a better opportunity to to meet kind of their needs on the marketing side of things, and and television still works. It's a mainstay of their plans, and I see these conversations continuing. Yeah, because this feels like another arena in which there's a paradox of on the advertiser side, they want that flexibility to if something happens, things change on their end or things change in you know the broader world, you know, to be able to shift their money around on the same time. They want that security of knowing they're going to be able to reach their audience and a large number of you know the people in their audience. Similarly, on the network side, you want the security of having that revenue committed and knowing the money is going to be coming in so you can cover your own costs because TV programming, The Walking Dead, not a cheap show to produce. On the other hand, you know, fluidity is becoming really important, especially for the networks as you all are managing the shift from linear being the you know focus of the business to in the future, it's going to be streaming. And how do you get to that point in a way where, economically it's you know manageable to you know make that migration so when it comes to that flexibility or the fluidity how are you getting advertisers to be buying your streaming inventory because as much as it seems like they recognize that there is a lot of audience in streaming that's growing that will be the future they also are very much they like linear tv they like you know having that historical baseline they also like the pricing when it comes to linear tv Absolutely. I think you're touching on on several themes there that that are worth talking about. You know, I've seen the barriers to those conversations really lift over the last two years. When I first started, I was surprised um, and 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 being candid, AMC Networks had not pushed incredibly hard towards fluidity. 
Um, it's obviously become more and more important as our audiences diversify, as our audiences are watching on more and more platforms. Um, what we're really selling is follow those audiences to, to where they're consuming and buy against those audiences wherever they are. Um, we'll make it as seamless as possible to stitch all of those audiences together for you, but follow them. And I have to say that conversation has gotten um, more direct and, and I'm not going to say easier, but I can't think of another word right now um, with each passing month, because I do think at the end of the day, the advertisers are buying oftentimes either scale or scale in association to contextual relevance or quality content. And they need to follow that wherever it actually goes. What, what's interesting, and I haven't heard people talking about quite so much, is one of the real value propositions of, of cable and, and watching tune-in television or buying tune-in television is the notion of consecutive viewership or synchronous viewership. And you still have this opportunity with The Walking Dead, for example, on a Sunday night where you're having hundreds of thousands of people. Maybe it wasn't the millions of the heyday, but it's hundreds of thousands of people all watching the same content, the same show, the same kind of um, creative arcs at the same time. They're all on social media talking about it at the same time. They all jump to Reddit at the end of the show and keep talking about it. And there's something incredibly special about that that while I know some streamers are are trying to generate that kind of audience engagement with a weekly release or cadence of programming, that is mainstay to cable. And we're still seeing that relevance count for advertisers who are interested in, you know, in The Walking Dead's case, um, that Monday morning water cooler conversation that they, they still want to be associated with. We see it after The Walking Dead. We also see it after the um, Love After Lockup franchise on WeTV on Friday nights. Like that is, that is a huge social trender for us. It explodes on Twitter on Friday nights. Everyone's talking about it. And while we're only talking about a few hundred thousand people, they more than outpunch their weight socially. And um, everyone's talking about the character developments and what's happened to who. And can you believe she said that? It's it's exciting, and I feel like in this um, appointment television, you you definitely lose that. So I, I feel like it's it's still very much part of. It depends on obviously your objectives as a marketer, but that's still incredibly important. And I, I see most of the conversations we're having, people still seeking that. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. At the same time, there is a lot of activity on the linear front towards addressable or, you know, for people who are not super into the TV jargon, targeted advertising, the kinds of ads that you would see on, you know, digital historically, maybe not targeted to individual people, but targeted to households. And this is something AMC Networks has been up to as well. You've all been running addressable ads and or household targeted ads on your linear networks, um, and you've even be, been selling it programmatically. So how are you, catch me up to speed on like how you're approaching addressable within linear, how you're carving out inventory for that. Cause historically addressable TV advertising has been limited to the pay TV providers. If you're a Comcast customer or a charter customer, Comcast or charter could go to a local dealership or retailer or insurance broker and say, Hey, do you want to reach people in this you know, County or this you know, viewing area? And they would, but now companies like AMC networks are 
enabling you know advertisers to target at the household level on the national TV ad load. Yeah. We love this space. And and I've really partnered with our our head of advanced and and digital Evan Adelman over here to you know use our size as an advantage um, in the space. Meaning we are aggressively working to knit our footprint together, working with our MVBD partners on um, on addressability, which is Comcast, Charter, and Cox, and their unaddressable pilot. We were we were first to sign on there and and dove into that, um, which is actually a fairly sizable footprint. We were able to quickly connect our VOD and CTV inventory to that footprint. Um, it was it was in the press, but VW was a pilot partner with us on that, and they've they've continued to support those efforts and and you know with our growing um, footprint and the number of targetable um, homes, it's 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 working better and better and better. Um, so we're really excited about what we're seeing on the on the early side of that. In addition, we we recently. Um, did a, a program, we did a test where we were allowing um, programmatic access to linear television. This is a very big deal. We did this against the Vizio footprint. So obviously it's not a huge footprint, but it is a it is absolutely a reliable sample size. And again, that test and, and buyers were able to, we partnered three small companies, they were able to target um, programmatically into our linear footprint. All of this is, you know, without getting too technical, wrought with can't do that, too many challenges, um, legacy relationship deals, um, and a number of, of, of different hurdles we've had to leap. So uh, initially, we were overlaying promos because that was controllable inventory. So we could run addressable units and overlay against our own house promos without interrupting any other advertisers overall footprint. Um, I think that that is, that is viable, but obviously that promo inventory works hard for us and that's important and we don't want to eat too much of that. I do think there's an opportunity to start looking at DR advertising um, and overlaying DR. And then I also think there's an opportunity to for advertisers that are large enough um, and making enough creatives to overlay against themselves. So imagine a world where there's a base creative and then a household targeted creative, very specific to, to what that marketer is kind of demographic needs are on top of it. So you've got your branding and awareness, and then you've got your targeted on top of it. Obviously, that's for the big guys for who want national and targeted at the same time, but that's more than people, that's more advertisers than people think. Um, we're, we're up for everything and we're constantly in market talking to advertisers and marketing partners that are up for everything too. So we will try anything. And I have to say, there's been more success than failure. Um, so we feel like we're onto something and we're not going to stop until until we stitch all of this together. And you're getting at one of the things that has interested me most when it comes to 
you know, the rollout of addressable beyond kind of those, that local pod of, you know, two minutes per hour typically of, okay, there, you know, historically have been the infrastructure, you know, challenges or hurdles of it, you know, in order for this to happen in the, you know, TV networks ad load, they need to be working with the various pay TV providers because the pay TV providers are the ones who effectively enable this kind of household level targeting, or you bring in someone like a Vizio who can also facilitate that through their smart TVs. Um, but then, like going back to what we were talking about earlier, the linear TV market is pretty tight. There's only so much inventory to go around. So even if you have the capabilities to be able to do this kind of targeting, okay, where are you going to find the ads? And you mentioned AMC Networks you know, started out by doing it where, okay, we have our promos and we can just overlay that on that. And that's very low risk you know, when it comes to, you know, either for the AMC side or the advertiser side, because obviously you all don't want to ruin your relationships with other advertisers if they're getting preempted. But you mentioned you're looking at, you know, direct response advertisers as another opportunity because uh, I guess those advertisers, the way that they're paying for these ads, they don't necessarily care if they're getting preempted because they're paying based on performance. That's right. And they're non-guaranteed. And yes, there's a bit more flexibility. Obviously, we would be very transparent with anyone if we were going to try this in that realm. But again, um, depending on the pricing, there are a lot of direct response advertisers that would be willing to trade some price for potentially a 85% of the 100% they're, they're non-guaranteed against or, or 90%. Because remember, you know, if, if you're talking about something targeted, the number of households you need to reach is usually relatively small. It's targeted for a reason. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just buy national um, or, or a large regional at the local level or whatever the case may be? So I, I think that I can understand why there's anticipation and I've heard anticipation and concern in some people's voices about the, as we continue to make headway into this space. But I think if everyone's honest and open, this is a really important um, thing for us to crack in our yield management strategy. We, we need to figure this out. It super serves the opportunity for marketers to show that not only is television an incredible brand and awareness vehicle at scale, efficient scale, it's also a very, it's a solid contender and competitor for the targeted, um, frankly, more premium advertising that is that is currently happening around us. Got it. And I imagine one consideration, let's say, on the advertiser side of thing is, you know, great. I can, you know, if I'm an auto manufacturer, I can work with you and figure out, okay, how do we reach, you know, households who are in the market for a new car? Because we're able to bring in Polk data and overlay that against, you know, the Vizio household reach or the, you know, Comcast footprint. Um, and, you know, really like I have a backlog on the lots in these 25 DMAs. And so how do we not only get people in the market for a new car, but people in these markets who are in the market for a new car. At the same time, if you know, on the advertiser, I may also be thinking, but how do I know that I'm actually going to be able to reach enough of those people? Um, and what happens if you know, I don't? We run these ads and those people, for whatever you know, reason, that day just aren't watching as much TV. Maybe they you know, 
kids soccer games are back in season and maybe that just so happens to be a day where a lot of them are out how do you manage that because that is a different consideration than the historical linear bar absolutely and that's where attribution comes in and it's it's key so you know with vw we had actually five different areas that we tested attribution down to choosing the color of the vehicle you might want on their website and so that level of specificity, and we were very impressed. Not all five KPIs um, performed, but three of the five did. And in that case, that's a win. So in the next iteration of the campaign, you double down on what actually is driving people to to actually doing something. What action are you taking out of this communication? And we think attribution is key. We we don't do much addressable advertising or targeted advertising without it. Um, we partner with all the big guys. 605 is is obviously in the family and, and frankly, you know, an incredible service. Um, but I just, I share with you like, no, we have to test and learn. And, and I don't think we can take anything for granted in these early days. Speaking of testing and learning, early days, attribution, we've even used the term KPI. So we're getting a little bit wonky. Yeah, so now sorry. we can get wonky. <laughs> no, this is fine because it, it kind of uh, helps to set up our you know, the next topic I want to talk about, which is measurement. Historically, a really wonky topic, you know, the type of thing where you have to have a certain appetite for that conversation. But it feels like right now, anyone in the TV or streaming, you know, ad market is really interested in measurement because we're we're in the what I've termed like this free-for-all phase that we're going into where Nielsen, their accreditation is stripped by a media rating council. And as much as Nielsen still very much remains in the mix, it seems like it's opened the door to all of these other measurement providers coming in. And and you know, it seems like everyone, buy side and sell side, is coming around to the idea, okay, the days of a dominant single measurement provider are over. The d- days of one currency to rule them all are over. How are you evaluating what how this shakeup is going to shake out? You sounded very hobbit there, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been listening to a book about the making of Lord of the Rings, so that's probably what <laughs> Um, I'm with you. I'm I'm right there too. Um, I listen. I I come from publishing and digital media, um, where there was not one um, one measurement company that ruled them all. So I do think there's there's a certain amount of that at play right now. I, I am certainly not counting Nielsen out. I've been following this incredibly closely. I think they're taking all of the um, measures they need to take to become um, more transparent, more credible. I think they're they're working on their panels. I think they're doing everything they need to do to very much stay a key player in the space. But but I think all we all want is is the best and most reliable, transparent measurement we can possibly get. And I think everyone is on the same side of this issue, if if we want to call it an issue. Um, and we're going to fumble along until we find the right mix. I think that, you know, many of us have subscribed to multiple measurements for years. This is a huge investment and capital investment for our company. And for a company of our size, we spend a lot of money on measurement. It's, I think now we're going to enter the stage where will the advertising agencies, will the holding companies start to accept 
more alternative measurements as part of their evaluation? Or will they still, you know, for the foreseeable future, use Nielsen as the primary? That's going to be the key. I feel like many media companies are, are ready to go on this front. And we have a lot of information that we would love to have looked at as a whole for consideration. But um, I, I, I think that I think that we all want the same thing here. So we want we want measurement to catch up with the innovation we're seeing on every front. And and I think we're well on our way after kind of the the last several months of of the right amount of pressure to get it there. This reminds me a bit of what's going on on the identity front when it comes to you know digital publishers and advertisers and you know the sense i get there is the publishers are largely waiting to see okay what are the you know universal ids that the advertisers adopt and those are the ones we're going to have to support but on you know when it comes to measurement within tv and streaming it feels like the media companies have taken a more active role here and that it's not necessarily waiting around for to see who the different measurement providers are that the advertisers are adopting or plan to adopt. So from the ANC Network's perspective, how are you evaluating the different measurement providers? What are you looking for in terms of who you will support, who you won't support? You know, I feel like... I feel like we're we're open and having actual the number of conversations we're having right now is a, is a bit overwhelming um, because we are talking to everyone from the moats to the SMIs to the like you 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 name it my my calendar for the next several weeks is is full of uh, full of conversations with our current vendors but also new prospective vendors. Um, that being said, I feel like funds are not endless. It'll be interesting to see if some of the companies looking to move into television more aggressively offer offer opportunities for us to do so without absolutely breaking the bank. Um, we'll we'll see. I'm not holding my breath on that. Um, but but kind of like I said, Tim, I feel like we will. You know, it's putting this big puzzle together. I would love to see more measurement of engagement on content. I'd love to see, you know, social impact and what we were talking about earlier, water cooler impact integrated into the decision making cycle for for media and and attribution for for what's working um, and what's really resonating with viewers. Um, and frankly, I'd love to see it more so against what I think are competitive mediums where, where, you know, maybe as we absorb more of the research from other areas or other industries, digital media, per perhaps most specifically, we can become more directly competitive from an engagement standpoint. Um, I think that there's, I, there's not nearly enough discussion about the level of engagement with your favorite show. You know, everyone talks about lean forward, lean back media. Everyone talks about, you know, what what shows do you watch without your phone in your hand? Like all, all of these things, I know it's getting a little subjective in this space, but I would love to be able to have more enhanced conversations more specifically about that because I think it would really help television. And it feels like for that then panel-based methodology has to be part of the mix. I... I Absolutely agree with panel-based continuing to be a really important piece of that puzzle we talked about. Okay. 
America. So my white whale of one day finally <laughs> finding a Nielsen panelist or now this, you know, going forward, one of the other panelists for a confessions Q&A of just what that is actually like. Keep looking. There's still hope. Keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> hope. Um, to bring things full circle. So we're talking about measurement, all the conversations you're having right now around measurement, also the conversations um, you're having around the upfront next year. How do you see measurement figuring into the upfront? Because, I mean, that was kind of the thing when Nielsen was stripped of the MRC accreditation, talking to buyers, well, our upfront deals for 2021, 2022 are still based on Nielsen you know, as the currency. Will that be the case for 2022, 2023? Practically, I think yes. Um, because I don't think we have made um, enough united traction for it to change. Uh, that being said, I think it's an open and ongoing discussion, and it can but I do think time is going to get very tight for it to change in a meaningful or truly disruptive way going into this upfront. But that's just that's just my opinion. Something something could happen before then, and you know we're all ears and ready to ready to react. As am I. I'm definitely all ears <laughs> on this one. See how it shakes out. Um, Kim Kelleher, thanks so much for joining the podcast. It was great talking with you. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. Always a pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode.